Welcome to the If I Had More Time podcast at Mariner's Church. This podcast series invites you into a casual conversation with our senior pastor, Eric Geiger, and our teaching team to hear a few helpful insights and truths they wish they had time to include in the weekend message. Be sure that you have listened to this weekend's message prior to listening to the podcast so you get the most out of our current series. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the If I Had More Time podcast. We are in week three of our series going through the book of Daniel, How to Thrive in a Chaotic World. I have Chris Kane here with me today and Eric Geiger, of course. I just want to say, first of all, how much I'm enjoying going through not just any book of the Bible, but a narrative book of the Bible. It almost feels like your favorite TV show. Like every week you come back like, ooh, what's going to happen? And this week is quite the show. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was so glad that my teaching week was this week. <laughs> Eric did that because he loves you. I know. I, I was saying, here you go. Here yeah. you go. Yes. He wanted to give you a gift. It was. It was a gift to our whole church. Yes. Thank you for this message. Thank I'm you so much. so excited. If you had had more time, so I'm... You just got the the best story. Like Eric was just saying, one of the most well-known stories in scripture, both Christians and non-Christians, people know this story. I know that there's plenty more that you could have added or gone with. So if you had had more time, not just those 32 minutes in in the service, what else would you have shared? I love that you say that uh, because the challenge of it being such a well-known story is um, keeping people engaged to not switch off because sometimes we go into automatic pilot. I mean, it sounds like a, a superhero story, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, you've got fires and you've got big statues and a narcissist and right. it's like a Marvel movie. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah. and, and you could just think it's not real. Um, but I think, you know, we're living in such urgent times. There's no doubt about that, that every verse came so alive to me mm. that I remember even when I finished the message, I thought I could have just done a 10-week series on, on this chapter. chapter. Wow. That's how uh, rich it was. Yeah. And I mean, where, where do we even start? Of course, Tim Keller does such a beautiful job in his book, Counterfeit Gods, um, but we could have just spent a whole week talking about idols. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us uh, so switch off because we just think, well, you know, we're not into Eastern mysticism. Right. We don't have statues. Um, but preparing this confronted myself about yeah. how many things, even in my own life, subtly, I still am looking to get either my significance or right. my security or my value from some person's approval, if I have to be honest, or right. a thing or an accolade, um, you know, and it could be from a small thing to a large thing, but I don't know that we ever really grow out of the fact that, wow, there is Something to me that seems to be more important than God, because if you try to take that thing from me, boy, I can get yeah. angry. Yeah, that's how you you know what your idol is when it's taken away. How you how you respond, you know? Well, totally. And I think a lot of us we just think, well, I don't. But it is amazing that the, anything that we are willing to compromise the Word of God on to keep. Yes. Um, and whether that's even, I just think even in attitudinally in our marriages it's like well you know i want to keep this certain thing so i'm going to have this kind of attitude but that attitude's not a godly attitude so it's got to go or you know i think sometimes at work even we can just subtle things and think well i'm not really kind of really breaking the law or i'm not do you know what i mean like there's little things that you go my boss is asking me to write this or say this even though i know god really wouldn't be pleased Mm -hmm. with it i I think we're all confronted with that stuff. Yeah. And it's scary because it can mean you lose your job. Yeah. You, 
in the lunchroom, they're talking about you rather than to you. I mean, it's got real totally. life ramifications. Yeah. Martin Luther, the reformer, he said that beneath every behavioral sin. So there's a thing on the surface, like writing the, the paper that we know would break God's heart. But beneath that, beneath every behavioral sin is the sin of idolatry. Wow. That there's, there's something that we're cherishing more than God. You know, there's something that we long for um, more, than, more than him. And that's, that's what idolatry is. It's an easy thing to say. <laughs> I'm interested, Eric, even for you, from a pastor's perspective, so how do you fight that? Because I have to be honest, there are things in my life, yeah. that, you know, I, I could be a simple thing. Will I post this or won't I? Now, is it because I don't want to dishonor God or because I don't want to be canceled by people? I, I'm, I'm being yeah. very vulnerable here, but I'm, it could come down to that sort of stuff yeah. too. The, the whole idolatry word, like you said, you were confronted in your in your own heart with the message. I'm constantly confronted with my own idolatry. I think when I first became a Christian, I viewed sin as like these bad things that I would do. And I, I was stopping those things. And then the further I studied the scripture, the more I got to know God, the more I realized it's, it's anything. It can be even a really good thing. Right. And you mentioned Keller. I think in that book, he says that it's often taking a good thing and making it the ultimate thing. Mm -hmm. So as a pastor, I can even make an idol of pastoring. Right. I can make an idol of of preaching. I can make an idol of of being approved by people or or feeling respected by people. I can take a really good thing and make it and make it my ultimate thing. John Stott, he he said about sin, which is really a, a quote about idolatry that the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, placing himself where only God deserves to be, which is on the throne. Right. Then the essence of salvation is God placing himself where only man deserves to be, which is on the cross. But I have taken many things in my life, taken God off the throne and put in, put something else there, whether it's a goal, you know, if I'm driven towards something, whether it's being approved, whether it's, it's, not, yeah, it's a relationship. Totally. I, I mean, dare we say it, could... Could football become an idol? Oh gosh! I mean, you think? I mean, there's there's stadiums packed this weekend, and and dudes who will have their their arms crossed in in church and look at the person with their hands raised as like, man, that person is a little fanatical, but go to a game and go ballistic. Exactly. Yeah. Go ballistic. You know, you're right. Screaming. I went yeah. to an LSU game. Once. Oh, that's how I grew up. That's how I grew up. I can't even believe crazy. what I saw in that yes. place. <laughs> it was crazy. That and loud. It was the crazy. loudest thing I'd ever heard in my life. Yes. To this day. Yeah. That's probably a night game at LSU. Was it a night game? Yes. Yes. Those are the best. <laughs> and that has the ability. If if the Tigers were to lose, there are a lot of sad people. Oh, just look at the stance. Yeah. Right. Totally. Isn't that kind of a good test though? Like it. If something's an idol in your life, it might be something that can change your like your mood. in Louisiana tell me people don't go to church like they they could gauge whether it's a good or bad weekend based on the football yeah yeah, yeah football <laughs> in the south football in the south is, is is that way and obviously we're not knocking no, no there's people, not at all there's people who can go and enjoy football sure. as a good gift go from dogs. god and have yes. a and and have a go dog she's been to her <laughs> i was just throwing that in okay <laughs> but, but there are but people yes. who make it the ultimate thing. totally yeah and, and and really to the point of your whole your whole um, view of life is impacted by how some 19-year-olds do on a football field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, your whole outlook on on everything is based on 
you know, right. one play on the field. It's crazy. And it, it can sound crazy and it can sound like, oh, that that's not me. Like, it, you know, it couldn't possibly be me. I think I would loved whenever you mentioned your experience when you went to South Asia. Uh, and was it South Asia? Is that right? In your message, um, because for me, a time that I've really had that epiphany, really a revelation around what idolatry was, I was in South Asia as well. I visited actually a Hindu temple. And I remember seeing this girl who I have to assume was a delete. She was not able to go inside of the temple. Which is the, the lowest class, the outcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. She, yep. she is considered so low, so unworthy that she can't even go in and worship. But outside, I watched her just like, I've never seen a person so desperately, fervently praying for something ever in my life. And my heart broke because I saw her worshiping and it was outside of where their... Um, was the God of fertility and it was a tree. And I remember think I had this thought and later God convicted me. So I had this thought that was, that is so stupid. She's praying to a tree. Right. And then later that night laying in my bed, God said that your idols are just as hopeless as that tree. Wow. Like what That's you put your hope in. That's so will, true though. It will bring you just as much joy yeah. and satisfaction as a tree could, Liz. Yeah. And it took me going all the way over there, you know, because so, yeah, I can sit here and laugh about the people that make idols of football and certainly it wouldn't be. But when you see just how hopeless something really is to bring you joy other than God, it's convicting, man. So John Newton, he wrote Amazing Grace. He he wrote a letter that it was to um, young couples and you're about to get married. You're actually not. Gonna, you're actually I'm not. Listening. You're not going to be on the uh, podcast next week because you're going to we have some substitutes. You're going to have a weeks. sub next week. Um, he said. So this is the reason I'm giving this quote is it shows that even a really good thing can be an idol. So he's writing to a young couple and he says, "Beware of idolatry in your marriage." Essentially, if because if you will make your spouse your ultimate relationship, your spouse will disappoint you. Totally. Your merit, you will put per, uh, pressure and a burden on your spouse that's unfair yeah. because they can't deliver on that because they are not God. You actually saddle the relationship with expectations that the relationship can't handle the weight of. Yeah. So the only one who can handle the weight of being worshipped is God. Yeah. So it's actually it's actually cruel to your to a, a relationship to give totally. primary place to that relationship. Your career will not be able to quench your soul. Me feeling if people liked my sermon or not. It, I'm tell, I, oh gosh, you asked me how I get convicted, Chris. Um, when people will tell me, Eric, that was one of the best sermons ever. I, I hate to say this because please don't t- t- stop telling me that. <laughs> but but um, I enjoy it for a moment. But then I wake up on Monday morning with this overwhelming pressure of, I have to do it again. I have to do it again. I am now competing against what I did last week. I had this. And so if I'm not careful, I can start finding my identity and how effective yeah. a sermon was as opposed to the God I'm preaching about in the sermon. Totally. That's how sinful I am. Wow. Oh, I think we're all there. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. And, you know, I was just thinking when I first became a Christian, and for some people this this will be a challenge. My family, and of course I grew up Greek, uh, in a very staunch Greek Orthodox home, and and family is everything, and it's such a high value for me and my husband and our daughters too. Right. Family is very, very crucial for us. We're so committed to marriage and family, 
But I was given an ultimatum. Literally, they brought the Greek Orthodox Archbishop from Athens and the one from Sydney and put me through six weeks of de brainwashing classes because they thought that I, you know, wow. to, to be Greek is to be Orthodox. So to at that time, you know, for, for me to convert um, and to begin to go to a Protestant church was such a, such a big deal. But then my family didn't take meals or talk to me for three years. Oh my so I had to decide as hard as it was. So culturally, to everyone in my immigrant community in Australia, I was a dishonoring daughter, a disobedient daughter. I mean, I lost immediately overnight all of my um, social network, all of my friends, family, and then, you know, heaped with shame and guilt. Now, we all go, wow, look, Christine, but 35 years later, look at your life and look what's happening. But at that moment, mm. um, and there was no internet, there was no social ne media. I had no concept of what God was calling me to do. Jesus called me to himself right. and I had to drop my nets and follow him. But there was a moment where it was like, is this worth it? Uh, I, I, you know, it would be easier just to kind of hide all this, be with my family, go that route. I was actually betrothed to another Greek man. And, um, you know, who knew that God had Nick for yeah. <laughs> the future? But He had the better. Yes, he had it all better. But, you know, no one knows that. Right, of course, some of us, I mean, that was a moment of... Uh, who are you going to serve? And, yeah. you know, it was kind of like I, I felt the heat as much as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego felt the heat of what their fire was because it was a costing everything. And I remember um, just weeping in my living room with my parents going, but I met Jesus. Yes. So if you're all not going to, if you're going to leave me, I, I met Jesus. Yeah. And I had no idea of my yeah. life. Like I, there was no paradigm. I hadn't even been to a Protestant church yet. I didn't know this was my life. So it's not like, oh, yeah, you chose it because you had this good career Christianity. Right. You know, there was none of that. Um, so I felt that moment. And to this day, I just want to encourage someone, though, because it all sounds melodramatic, and it was, because it is life and death and it is eternal. But I could tell you it's that encounter that is the reason I'm still here today, not what I have achieved in ministry, because in those ways I've got to fight the same battles you do about, you know, like, uh, people's affirmation, people's approval. Was this good? Wasn't I? I'm going to fight that battle for the, until I die. I'm human, so that's going to happen. But the thing that keeps me, that was like, oh, I know I am not going to bow, is the fact that um, I, when I didn't know any of this existed, and it was just Jesus, yes. I, I, I passed that fiery trial that has sustained me for 35 years. And then when Nick and I went to Qatar in 2019, and I think to this date, I, I am the only person, to my knowledge, male or female, that there's a religious compound where, with approval, you can preach in. Um, it's out in the desert, and you have to get approval and go through checkpoints. I did that, but there was an amphitheater that was bought, uh, built for the to what was going to be the 2020 World Cup soccer became 2022 because of COVID. Um, there was an amphitheater, and we were given special permission um, to lead worship and I was given 12 minutes to preach the gospel mm -hmm. and to my knowledge outside of the religious compound this is the only time that gospel's being preached but Nick and I so there was the we also had at that time um, the Saudi special forces uh, the SWAT team protecting us and the Qatar team and I um, Nick and I had before we left I mean our, our will is normally updated but we updated everything had talked to our children 
and knelt by the side of the stage. But I remember going to Nick, I go, well, this could be it. And literally, I mean, I'm not trying to be melodramatic. This really, in all my 35 years of preaching, yeah. this was literally, okay, if I go out there and take that microphone and I am a woman and I'm in Qatar right. and I am a Christian and I'm going to preach about the crucifixion, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm going to make sure that I say it and I... I, you know, I, I say clearly out of First Corinthians, the gospel yes. of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I remember we just held hands and he was crying and we just prayed. And then I got up and I'll never forget that in all my preaching that I do, you know, 10 times a week, every week, walking out, there was nothing like that moment that and I'm holding the microphone. I was shaking. Mm. And, um, and then a boldness came over me Amen. and I declared <laughs> And as it was, there was this boldness, but as I was walking back, I literally, there was a moment I was thinking, oh, well, am I going to hear a, a shot, yeah. basically? And um, and I knew then, but I'm prepared and he's worthy. Amen. And so I know this is like an extra, we don't like we're thinking, but that, that literally was yeah. the thing where as as recently as 2019, I know that I believe this. Amen. Yeah, that's what I can say. It, it reminds yes. me of a passage in, in John 6 where uh, Jesus is preached after feeding 5,000 and he gives the, the hard message, like, you have to receive me oh, just yes. like you receive the bread. And a bunch of people leave and Jesus turns to his disciples and say, says, hey, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, this is John 6, verse 66, I love it so much. To whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. In other words, once you've tasted that it's Jesus is the best, all of the idols of the day, even though we're tempted to go after them, yeah. they don't deliver. Only Jesus is the one. That's it. And so that's the that's the joy of this. Sometimes we focus so much on how hard it is, and it is hard because it, you're not tested till you test it. But I can testify the flip side of this is why I'm still in it 35 years later, because there is nothing else, that's and there is no one else. And and I thought even if I hear it. I'm so happy because to be, you know, absent in the bodies, to be present in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, I had counted that cost and I thought it is worth it. Yeah. It is worth it. Yes. Which is why they don't bow down. That's because it. Jesus is the best. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's right. I want to, I'm so glad that you started talking about the message of your life because what stuck out to me, so many things in this passage, but towards the end is Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the fact that those men were not burned. They were unscathed. They walked out untouched. And then his reaction was strong, like very strong. You mentioned, I did not know this fact that it was religious freedom for all the Jews. Because he turned around and he said, well, okay, this is it. They, they, they can worship. I mean, we've gone from the in Baudel. Yeah. Yeah. Across that, literally he, the, these three anonymous teenage boys that, Pastor Eric understands their Israel, Israelite names. I don't. What was is it? Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. That's why you're the pastor of this church. <laughs> okay, I only know their Babylonian names. Um, but, you know, those guys, uh, and I think it's so significant that Daniel's not mentioned in this chapter um, because, I mean, he's just interpreted a dream. He's the hero at this point, you know. But here are three guys that, number one, if Daniel wasn't around, it would have been a bit easier to just go with the flow, I think. So, you know, I mean, you know, you could go with the flow, but they're put in the fire and you see their own conviction. This is what I love. Yeah. It wasn't just the conviction of their leaders. Yes. These are guys that could have been in any high school, in any country in the yeah. world and gone, I know every other guy is bowing down. I'm not going to. Mm -hmm. And that's a big thing when you're like it, you know. And so these guys, and because they didn't, and 
what Nebuchadnezzar sees really is the result of God's presence with them. Yes. Because they don't smell of smoke. They're not tarnished in any way. He can't deny God. And I think that's what we have to realize, whether it's in the lunchroom at work, whether we're not going to compromise late night work drinks, we're not going to have that extra one, we're not going to go up to the room, we're not yeah. going to go to the strip club, whatever it might be. We're just like, we're, everybody might think we're crazy and it just is not the way you get ahead in the corporate world or, you know, whatever it might be. The temptation's as hard when you're an adult as it is when you're a kid, you know. I think that's the deal. That when you don't bow down, more people are watching than you realize. Yes, totally. And the ramification, I mean, some people might be laughing at us, but a whole lot more are thinking, I, I get a whole lot more good feedback. Yes. Uh, you know, I was watching you, Christine, through yep. that whole situation, and you didn't post XYZ. You didn't respond in XYZ. Yeah. And I've been watching you for two or three years. And you know what? There's got to be something about this God and whether they'll yeah. come to a service or yeah. they'll read a book or something they were never going to do because they've what my own family, my own brother is coming over in January to be with us here in America. And, you know, I'm just thinking this is like a 35-year journey where they have been watching me for wow. 35 years. And with all the craziness in the world right now, they're more prone to listen yeah. than ever. But if I didn't have this 35 years yeah. and they watched everything I went through with our family and all, you know, and I've stayed in all their lives and we've done, I wouldn't have the door of opportunity. But they're like, there's got to be something about this God. Yeah. Because this chick is still going yeah, <laughs> and still, you know, still, she's yeah. still walking. And, um, and not only that, she seems to be flourishing in yeah. her marriage and her kids seem really awesome. And, you know, um, and she's involved in this really dark work with human trafficking, but she's still got joy and peace. All that speaks to people yes. more than we realize. Yes. And so in this case, of course, in the text, Nebuchadnezzar puts out an edict and now there's religious freedom. So instead of the Jews being killed for their faith, there's religious freedom and it impacts generations. Yes. Yeah. And so I kind of go in this hour, I know it's hard. But man, if we do what God says, yeah. it, it, it has such deep ramifications. I'm so glad that you're encouraging people with, hey, folks are watching. And here's why I think folks are watching. Because the idols of the day haven't quenched in. Exactly. Great point. Yeah. So people, the world hasn't delivered on the promise of true joy or true rest. And so you're walking with God in the workplace or at school. So people are watching because they aren't quenched with life. Totally. And so they, they're looking for something and they see you not bow down. They see you only worship God. And they they are intrigued. Yep, absolutely. I think deep down they're hoping it's real. Yes, I think uh, it's taken thirty five years, but I think deep down my brother is hope he's hoping that what I had believed all this time is real and would work for their family too. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, because he knows he's li he's lived it out. It's not worked. I have a girl in my life group that she just recently joined our group, and we share like to share our stories whenever we first join a group, so that we can all get to know you. And her her past is colored. But she said, I have, I promise you guys, I have tried everything mm. that you can try. It doesn't work. Yeah. And something about it was, yeah. was peaceful and comforting to me. And, um, what a promise, yeah. um, you know, that I, that I can stand on that. It's like, man, nothing else that this world throws at me that try, they try to trick me with, or it tries to trick me with, it's not going to do what yeah. God can do for me. It's really God's grace to her that she gets to the end of herself yes. and realizes that this world disappoints. Yes. The ones who that's when you call out for grace. When you get to that, that when you get to that place of this the whole system of this world has failed me. 
that's when you look up. Yeah. And let me tell you, she's she is convinced. Like she's never looking back. She's never going anywhere else because she has tried. She has seen. She's like, it's him and only him. Absolutely. Yes. It's beautiful. Chris, thank you for a beautiful message. Thank you. So, so, so I just want to speak a word of encouragement. I'm just thinking as you're talking about there's some mothers listening to this and fathers whose kids have just gone so far away yeah. from God. And um, keep praying because yes. they're going to get to the end of themselves and they're going to discover that none of this stuff works. So if the parents just stay on track. No, no. Keep believing God. Keep praying. Um, you know, I'm yet to know a young person whose idols have delivered. And sometimes it takes longer than we want. But if we stick at it, it works. So anyway, yeah. I just want to Absolutely. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And thank you so much for listening to the If I Had More Time podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the If I Had More Time podcast hosted by Mariners Church. We hope to see you next weekend at any of our congregations across Southern California or online. To view our service times at each congregation, be sure to check out our website at marinerschurch.org.